next guest on Tea Time with me, Ali Monjak, is Dee Haas, Chair of CPRE Hampshire. Dee shares her passion for communities and finding ways to live sustainably to preserve our green spaces. Dee, who is a landscape architect, has been part of the charity sector for the best part of 15 years and really understands the land that we all live in, as well as knowing instinctively what needs to be cultivated to enhance our natural world. Definitely one of life's born gardeners. Let's find out more. So Dee, welcome to Tea Time. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yes, we seem to be surviving lockdown hashtag two, no trouble. So uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yes, and and I've got my cuppa here. Oh, lovely. I love the idea of tea time with Ali. It's lovely. <laughs> Super. So what are you drinking today? Actually, mine's coffee, in fact. Ah. One of those, one of those little short, naughty coffees. It's probably going to make me all... <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah. Tea, tea, coffee, toffee. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah We've got an amazing thing in our village that started up quite well, maybe a year ago. In fact, it was. It was almost exactly a year ago. It's called TCC, which stands for Tea, Coffee and Cake. Oh, lovely. And it's in a village hall and it, it's a, an absolutely lovely thing. And um, uh, it happens every Wednesday morning, obviously not during lockdown. And people come along, they pay two pounds and they get a really yummy homemade cake and a cup of tea or coffee and they chat. And it goes oh. from 10 till midday and every Wednesday. And it's absolutely yeah. gorgeous. It's such a lovely idea. No, that is a lovely idea, isn't it? Yeah. It's about coming together and chatting and and finding out what's going on in your community, which yeah. you are on top of anyway, aren't you, with your role? Well, yes, but I mean, it's always good. You know, it's always good to chat. And I, you know, I think um, what I love about things like that is you're getting people's ideas and thoughts, and they're not necessarily the people you see every day. You know, if you're working or your maybe your neighbours, it's sort of all through the whole community. And... It's actually a really lovely opportunity to sit down and have a good chin wag and find out what's going on. That sounds good to me, definitely. So there's been a lot going on, though, hasn't there, this year? I mean, in terms of the pandemic, and yes. we've certainly learned, don't you think, that climate change, it has been reversed, hasn't it, as well? Well, that first lockdown was incredible because literally within weeks, you know, the skies were clear, weren't they? And we, you know, and I know that we, in the middle of Hampshire, don't get enormously bad pollution. But I know I've been on holiday to um, India before, and I remember landing in Delhi, and you literally almost couldn't see the end of your hand, um, you know, because the pollution was so bad, and all of that cleared. And, you know, suddenly nature's being given a helping hand and it was so quiet as well. It was lovely, wasn't it? And I mean, what I loved was people, because the government said you must go out and have your daily walk or you're allowed to go out and have a daily walk. All around here and all over the whole, I mean, everywhere in England, really, people discovered that they could go out and have a, a walk in the countryside. And they really just realised how important it is for their mental health but also their physical health it is a lovely sight to see yeah? and as you said it, it it really does make you feel good being out and about in the countryside 
And of course, yes. this, this year, over the last year, you have actually did a survey, didn't you? Called Valuing the Countryside. Gosh, yeah. that was an interesting find. Do you know what, Ali? This is the I think this is the first time this has ever been done. So we would we're we're running a sort of a campaign to try and make the green land that's just north of the M27 um, try and keep it from being being built on and keep it as green for everyone to use. And we we think the only way to do that is to and to stop Southampton, Portsmouth, Fairham, and all that lot from from just growing and growing and growing forever is to have a green belt. And we've got a green belt around London and there's one around Oxford and various other cities. And what it does is it means that when they start to redevelop or they want to build houses, they have to think really hard. They don't just go, oh, look, there's a green field. Let's put 200 houses in it. So it means that instead of having a hollowed out city where it's all just too much hard work to develop, it, they, you know, it really makes people rethink how they find space for the houses. And um, so we've been trying to persuade all the local authorities that this is a really good idea and it's beginning to get traction. But part of that was, so what happens if you do build on it? What do you actually lose? You know, you get houses, which is great. Most of them probably aren't really affordable for most young people. And those are the guys that we're worried about. They're just not getting on the housing ladder. Um, but um, what would happen if you covered that piece of land in housing or concrete or, you know, car parks or whatever? So we commissioned a, an organisation called the New Economics Foundation. They have a consulting arm and they're real boffins. They really know their stuff. And what they did was they analysed what that countryside was actually doing for us in various different ways. So it's socio-economic um, and environmental. So what does countryside do for us as a society? It grows our food. It creates clean air, clean water. Um, um, and you can grow bio crops if you wanted to. So looking forward to not having um, a reliance on fossil fuels. Um, there are lots of things that a piece of green land can actually do for us, which it can't do once it's built on. So there's all that sort of thing. That's actually called natural capital, which is a bit complicated, but I don't really understand it. But anyway, it's all about um, really uh, things like climate change and the soil can capture carbon and keep it from being in the air. So there's all that sort of thing, but there's also things like health and well-being. So can you measure the health and well-being you get? And yes, you can, because people have done studies on people's mental and physical health when they're able to go walking in nature. Yeah. And there have been studies on all that, so you can now quantify it. So they did all that, and the results were really amazing. I mean, billions we're talking, we're saving as a society. I mean, it's, you know, it's really hard because, of course, it's only billions, you know, if you, if you, I mean, nobody actually gets a check for 26 billion or whatever. No. But it's, you know, it, it's really important that we understand that the green space around us has a, has a value as well as just being somewhere to put new development. It, it has a value in its own right. And I think 
lockdown and COVID has really made everyone appreciate all that. It, they really, they suddenly realize actually we want this to stay. We like it and we want to use it and go walking and cycling. And it's also, you know, the biodiversity, isn't it, of, of the planet? Very, very much so. I mean, we're having such, we're, we're shocking in England what we've lost in the last sort of 50 years. It's absolutely shocking and we should not have allowed it to happen. And we are, we have a massive biodiversity depletion, really, you know, and it's not just things, I mean, I noticed things like butterflies are less and you know if you drive your car very fast up a motorway in the summer and you arrive at your destination and you're in the old days your windscreen would be covered in dead bugs because you'd been going up a motorway and the bugs had been flying into your windscreen and they died on your windscreen um, and now you can go from A to B and hardly have one or two little bugs on your car which is an indication that the bugs are not as much as they used to be. And of course, they're food for birds. So, you know, yes. it's all connected. It is. We are all connected, aren't we, Dee? That, that is for sure. And I mean, obviously, every year you're part of the, the Climate Change Conference, aren't you, with DEFRA? Uh, so, I mean, and, you know, things are starting to move forward aren't they and I think the government have certainly learnt their lesson as 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 far as having to have lockdowns because of the virus and realizing that actually we're able to regenerate the planet aren't we I mean I'm not just the government I mean everybody across the everybody world. yes and it, it needs to be global obviously and um that is being attended to so there are quite a lot of global conferences and such like about it but I mean unless we really make an effort and it I think it's about personal effort as well so it's not just saying oh the government have to do something about it you know it's all about us as well we can do it. and if everybody did a little bit it would really help I think and I think that's what's so lovely about it you can really you know it's a kind of it's 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 we can all contribute you know we don't have to feel oh well if only the government would do this and you know we can really contribute and start making change happen ourselves yes i think i think we can definitely and it you know it, it's all about choices isn't it we we need to make choices to, yeah. to help each other i mean you know it i i recently watched i don't know if you have um i recently watched the our life on our this life on our planet with David Attenborough. Yes, I love I loved it. David Attenborough is brilliant, isn't he? Isn't he amazing? Isn't he amazing? And he, you know, firsthand has been a visitor, a guest, hasn't he, to on our planet who has really encompassed so much wildlife. Yeah, animals and, and birds and fish and things that most of us have never ever seen before. I know. And I mean, there's so much that we that is undiscovered, you know, we don't really want to kill it off before we even know it's there. Um, I mean, I think that's a lovely view of the, of the whole macro planet. And actually, I think what he's trying to say is that we all depend on each other. So what we do here affects the polar bears, you know, and what it, it, we're all very interconnected and we all depend on each other. And actually, I think that that's a really exciting way of looking at it, really. Um, I think 
I, I, I misquote him all the time, but I'll probably do that now because I haven't got it written down. But one of the things I loved that he said, David Attenborough, was that uh, we need to introduce people to nature and animals and their environment. Uh, because if they don't know it, they can't love it. And if they don't love it, they won't protect it. So it's all about getting people out there into the woods and into looking at the bluebells and getting hands on in, in, na in nature. Because I think if you can get people to understand it and know it and love it, then they will help to protect it. So yes. It's, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, as, as we've said, I mean, this year has had many different um, takes on it, but, you know, as human beings, we have learned to appreciate our surroundings. And I think, you know, as, as we've said, I, I think we, we all appreciate it a lot more now. And that's... Yes, that's I hope that carries on. And I think, I think it will. I mean, the trouble is it needs to, you know, we need to push it a bit further, I think, because... We need to appreciate it, but then we need to take action to do something about it. And I think we need to all pressurize our local councils. A lot of local councils this year have declared a climate emergency. And, you know, that's a really brilliant first step. So I think great. And then what do you do once you've decided it is a climate emergency? Now, there are lots of things like, you know, for example, you could say, right, we're going to ban uh, we're going to ban petrol and diesel cars and only have electric cars. Now, the thing about electric cars is that you've got to generate the electricity somewhere. And so you need to make sure you're generating the electricity in a safe and, and clean way. Yeah. Um, I, I personally think that the way forward for cities is to really really improve their public transport so people and i know post covid nobody's going to want to use it but i think people once the vaccines kicked in and people have got over it, i think they will and actually if you know you've got a really reliable bus or train that isn't going to let you down is clean has friendly people on it and the experience is one of joy instead of one of sort of nastiness you know people will use it and then we can just gradually realize people will realize they don't need their cars you know if they live you know say you live on the outskirts of Southampton and you can get in really easily by public transport why would you want to take a car and then have to park it well this is it this is true but one of the other things that you've also looked at at CPRE Hampshire this year is sustainable housing haven't you Yes, well, we yes, because uh, so there was a, um, a part of Eastleigh that was going to get built on or was going to be incorporated in the local plan. Mm. Eastleigh Council wanted to put 6,000 houses in probably the best greenest bit of Eastleigh. Now, in order to build the houses there and get people to them, they would have had to have built a road, a new road, and they would have had to have built a new bridge over the River Itchen. Now, we looked at that proposal versus some other options within Eastleigh, and we could see that that option was the least sustainable. So, you know, you, you, you do not want to build a car-dependent community that can't even get to the station to go anywhere else. So 
you, you want to be looking at where are your transport hubs and then start to think about where you put your houses um, near your transport hubs. I mean, sustainable housing goes even further, of course. And obviously, if we are going to have an impact on climate change, we need to start insulating our houses better and thinking about how we heat them. And you can insulate houses so well that you don't actually need to heat them because they heat themselves. And, you know, with you living in them, a couple of fridges and, and a cooker, and that's all you need, really, because everything just stays in the house. Yes. So there are so many areas where we could improve things and get better. Well, that, that is interesting, though, isn't it, to, to look at that, because, you know, sustainable houses of the future, I suppose you, you would, everything would be run by solar power, wouldn't it? Um, yes, yes, or wind power. Um, I mean, I, I've seen, I've, I haven't got, my house does sadly need heating, but um, I've seen quite a big house that has been built by, so we, every, um, every couple of years, we run a thing called the Countryside Awards. And what we're trying to do with that is we're trying to highlight really good practice in four areas in, of, uh, of rural life and urban as well. So there's a youth category, a community category, there's a rural business category, and then there's a, a thing called making places, which covers architecture and landscape and building beautiful places anywhere in Hampshire. And um, a few years ago, there was a house that was entered. It was quite a big single house all on its own, but it had so much insulation and so much high tech, not high tech, really passive solar gain and things like that. So, the, you know, you all they had to heat the whole house was one tiny radiator in, up in the garage roof. And um, I, I saw another house, a, a, maybe a year or two after that, built by a different architect in Whitchurch. And that was, um, I said to the guys, um, how much does it cost you to heat this house? And he said, it doesn't cost us anything. We get paid because we have solar panels on the roof. And it, it, you know, it's a negative cost. They don't, they don't spend any money on their heating and they get paid because they're putting electricity back onto the grid. So that's great, isn't it? Yes, no, that is good. And there was, I mean, correct, you, you are much more up on this than I am, but there was at one point, wasn't there, a government scheme where you could get so much money back if you went and bought solar panels and- yes. Yes, they did subsidies for solar panels for a while. I don't actually know what the current situation is, but they wanted to encourage people to put solar panels on their roofs. And a lot of people did. You see them all over the place. And then they get, they, um, the way it works is that, you, the, the, and I find this really weird because I don't know anything about electrics. But, so the electricity comes off the panel and it goes into the same wire and out through the same street as onto the grid in the, in the opposite direction. So I find that really weird. So you've got um, electricity <laughs> coming from your panels and going to the grid. And then meanwhile, you, any electricity you use is taken off it. But I mean, it's brilliant. And people, you know, actually what I love is, could we, uh, every time we build an industrial building, could we just cover it in solar panels? Because if we did that, we wouldn't then have to have fields of solar panels because the fields are a bit sad, really, because they shade the grass out and your 
apparently the um, carbon capture is not so good in soil underneath solar panels as it is in soil which has got the full sort of... Yeah, so, and also, you know, it doesn't allow for, for biodiversity either, does it really? No, and I think, uh, I mean, I think, well, our, I mean, our take on it is, you know, climate change is a real thing. Solar panels are good, but what we don't want to see is solar panels in landscapes that are very beautiful because they completely sort of muck them up and ruin the look. But at the same time, if we can put them somewhere where they won't do any harm, then that's great. I mean, it would be quite fun to have them all the way along the, the M3, wouldn't it? And along the edge of the M27, perhaps. Oh, goodness knows, it would, wouldn't it? You Definitely. could fit quite a few along there. <laughs> you could, definitely. <laughs> oh, that's a brilliant idea. I, I like your thinking, Dee. So, oh, God, yeah. I, I know we've spoken many, many times about different subjects over the, the, the year or since I've known you. Um, in regards to climate change and looking after the countryside. But how did you actually get involved with the CPRE Hampshire and end up being the chair? Well, that's a very good question. So this was actually now seven years ago and I hadn't been involved before. So I, I had been involved with a local campaign here in my village um, and um, somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, we're looking for a new chair for CPRE Hampshire. Now I do have a background in environment. So I, all my life, cause I'm a landscape architect. So I trained as a landscape architect and qualified in 1980. And I spent the first sort of 10 years of my working life doing gritty city projects, but getting community involvement. Cause I'm really interested. It was all sort of social housing and stuff like that. And so, I was really interested in how you get people involved in making the decisions that affect them on their doorsteps and get them to love their little local garden or their play area or whatever. And so I invented, and this is way back now, sort of mid eighties, long time ago. And um, I invented a way of, um, at that time of getting people hands-on on the design. So I was doing all that in through the eighties into the early nineties. And then, um, so we moved to Hampshire when I, just about two months before I had my first baby. And so once I was living here, I did a bit of volunteering. I was a school governor. Um, I did a bit of volunteering here and there and um, gradually, and also garden design, I sort of moved from doing gritty city stuff because it didn't really work with having babies because you couldn't, you know, you, if you're going to do it properly, you've got to actually be down there hands on all the time and do weekends and evenings and stuff. And so, um, yeah, so I've just been garden designing ever since and then doing this little bit of campaigning locally. And then somebody um, somebody spotted me and said, would I like to be chair? I mean, so I said, well, I'll give it a try. <laughs> so, And I, that was seven years ago. So I I, I do time out in a couple of years, so I can't um, can't do it forever. Yes. But I'm really, you know, I've just spent, oh, I know, yes. So in London, I was um, vice chair of the London Wildlife Trust for about uh, seven or eight years and um, got very involved with that. And it was very early on in the Wildlife Trust's kind of life. You know, they were quite young and 
Uh, we, we built an amazing site called Camley Street, just north of King's Cross, where you children could go and do pond dipping and things like that. And um, so I'm be, I've always, I've just always been active in the environmental world, really, doing Aww. all sorts of things. I managed to help a local group save Jubilee Gardens, which is now where where the um, the London Eye is, because that was going to get built on that park and wow. um, managed to save that. That was back in the late, I think late 80s, early 90s sometime. Yes, and I, I mean, I, I expect people appreciate that park now. I think they do, and there is actually, you know, you, you go there and you think, oh, it's all, I don't know, like theatres and stuff, because it's the South Bank. But actually, there's quite a big community of people actually living really near it. And it was, interestingly, it was a piece of ground that wasn't, um, it wasn't protected because it was left over from the um, Festival of Britain and it had never been designated as a park so it was up for grabs but we managed to make a really good case for keeping it green. So that's where you know started there, moved through and now I'm doing it in the countryside but I was born in Devon so I am a country girl at heart. You are a country girl at heart definitely so so this is brilliant. So um, obviously, you have the, the Countryside Awards, don't you, every year? Well, um, we have been having them every year, but of course, this year we, had, we couldn't have them because of COVID. And then we made the decision we might actually have them every other year. So from now onwards, we're going to have them every other year, but we're really hoping to have them next year. But I'm looking for two sponsors. So we have four sponsors. I've already told you about the categories. So we're looking for a really good sponsor for the youth category and one for the uh, rural economy ca category as well, rural business. So anybody out there who's wanting to um, get their name around and, you know, we've we've got some we've got the Southern Co-op already doing a fantastic job. Um, and, um, you know, I think our sponsors get quite a lot out of it, actually. We have the most brilliant evening when we give the prizes away, where um, we have um, the Lord Lieutenant comes, Nigel Atkinson, who's brilliant. And he's so great with all the um, finalists and such a wide lot of, you know, just some very interesting projects. And it's just a great showcase for really good practice in countryside and town. So, you know, we've We've given prizes to people who live in the middle of Southampton and have a community garden or something like that. Oh, no, well, that's brilliant, isn't it? That, that now, if anyone's interested, go on our website, CPRE Hampshire, and um, it, all the information's on there. So, yeah, we, we'd really be, um, we're, we'd be very excited to have you on board, whoever you are wanting to sponsor. Well, there you go. There's, there's a proper shout out from the chair. Shout out. <laughs> A proper shout out. No, I, I think that it, it, it's invaluable, though, isn't it? I think also recognising people within your community for what they do, uh, you know, yeah. especially at the moment, I think, mm -hmm. you know, again, I think, so. I think this year has highlighted that situation. Mm -hmm. hasn't it? I mean, there's actually a really, really good example, again, fairly local to me. Um, about maybe a year ago, 18 months ago, uh, we had a new community shop open and there was a shop in that village, but it was, uh, this is Preston Candover. And 
it you know it was in it was threatened with closure and it had um, a post office and the community just got together and they have built a new building and they are in there running this amazing shop all through lockdown it was just a lifesaver and it sells everything from I don't know bleach and loo rolls all the way up to homemade cakes and you know delicious food and fresh veggies and oh and flowers grown locally people you know there's a lovely flower farm locally that brings bunches of flowers that they sell through there it's just the most heavenly place and it's staffed completely by volunteers apart from a manager and a deputy manager and you go in and you just get a brilliant kind of virtual hug really from it it's a lovely lovely thing and wow. I just think there are so many of these things going on that we don't really know about you know well there are aren't there and I, I think our communities together I think that that's the key isn't it I mean mm. if if um somebody gave you the key to to the whole of the countryside across the UK what 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 would you do with it <laughs> <laughs> that's a very big question Ali but yeah. you know what I think that last example really just just to pick up from that I think it's about I think what I would do is I would I would I think rural life it's here it's happening it isn't just for very wealthy people with big houses there are lots of people living in rural areas that work the land or have tiny businesses and struggle away and, um, you know, craftspeople or artists. And I would love to do something that would encourage them and encourage those communities to, um, to really flourish and be valued for what, they're, for what they're doing. And then I think, but you can't do that without attending to cities as well and I'm I love cities I'm you know I'm, I am a country girl but I've lived in London for 15 years I love London I love a proper vibrant city and I think this is an interesting one Covid internet shopping our cities are going to have to reinvent themselves and I do think that they are beginning to look at this and really grab it with both hands and start thinking right how can we do this and I would like to see the centre of cities being a real hub of creativity and vibrant ideas and young people and businesses and employment all mixed in together. And none of this silly kind of let's have a retail park or let's have a business park. I just think everything should be, you know, together so that you work for somebody, you walk to get your coffee you walk to buy something in your lunch hour and you bump into somebody and you have a, a chat and it sparks an idea and that gets fed back to your business. You know, it's it's all about bringing people together. And I think that's what I would do. I would just like to see more vibrant cities, better public transport, as we said earlier, and um, and and rural life really encouraged because they're the people who are looking after the countryside for everyone else to enjoy you're absolutely right yes yeah definitely that that was lovely day well do you know what thank you so much for coming on to speak to me today always um, a pleasure ali bye